Well, good morning. It is a true privilege and honor to be here this morning with you, to worship with you. Why don't we pray? Dear Lord, just want to thank you so much for being in our presence this morning because you say in the scripture that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there will be there will you be in the midst. So just thank you for that. I just thank you for each one sitting here this morning. I just pray that um, you would give them what they need to hear this today, this week. That would be a challenge to them. That would be an encouragement to them. And I just pray that you just be with me, that I just preach your word, spirit, and in truth and in holiness, Lord, and that I'd be able to um, say it in a way that your name would be glorified and that people would just be encouraged. So just thank you for being with us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, to be perfectly honest with you, I struggled quite a bit this our yeah studying for this message and knowing what to say and I almost gave up on it several times but I just kept going just kept going just kept studying and the later it got I guess I was more encouraged by it so I'm not sure what that means to you guys I started getting excited about it so in about 25 minutes here I have somebody passing out pickles and crackers that means you should be good for another 25 minutes after that, right? I don't know. We'll see where it goes. Um, the subject, subject I decided to preach on is probably something I struggle with a little bit. I'm sure my wife could probably contest to that too. Contentment. The perfect sermon right now two weeks before Christmas, right? Everybody's Christmas list is so long. Are you content with what you got? And so often we think of contentment as material things, as the house that we got, the car that we have, the clothes that we have, or you name it, whatever. Are you content with them? But that's not what I want to focus on. And no, this sermon is not you should be content and give away all your stuff and maybe give it to me so I can be content. That's not what this sermon is about. Contentment is so much more than the material things that we have. Can we find contentment in the situation that we are in and the things that we have? And so often contentment is perspective. There was a Jewish man in Hungary who went to his rabbi and complained, life is unbearable. There are nine of us living in one room. What can I do? The rabbi answered, take your goat into the room with you. The man was incredulous, but the rabbi insisted, do as I say and come back in a week. A week later, the man returned, looking more distraught than ever. We can't stand it, he told the rabbi. The goat is filthy. The rabbi said, go home and let the goat out and come back in a week. A week later, the man returned, radiantly exclaiming, life is beautiful. We enjoy every minute of it now that there's no goat, only the nine of us. So perspective, our contentment is so much perspective. 
And what does contentment mean? It is an inner sense of rest or peace that comes from being right with God and knowing that he is in control of all that happens to us. It means having our focus on the kingdom of God and serving him, not on the love of money and things. If God grants us material comforts, we can thankfully enjoy them, knowing that it all comes from his loving hand. But also we seek to use it for his purpose by being generous. If he takes our riches, our joy remains steady because we are fixed on him. Contentment also means not being battered around by difficult circumstances or people. Not being wrongly seduced by prosperity because our life is centered on a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So no matter what happens to us or what others do to us, we have the steady assurance that the Lord is for us and he will not forsake us. I wanted to look at several um, examples in the Bible of discontentment and then contentment. So if you want to turn to Genesis 3... Genesis 3, 1 through 6. The first recorded in the Bible of discontentment. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, He shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, See, do you see the seed of discontentment starting to grow and show itself? She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Here, Adam and Eve were in the perfect situation, the perfect world, the perfect life. But just that seed of discontentment ruined that whole life for them and for everybody after them. And that's what discontentment can do to us. It will affect us and the people around us. It'll change our world. It'll change our view of the world, of our life. Now let's go to Numbers 16. And this deals with more um, the discontentment of God's design or the rebellion against God's, what God wants. Number 16, 1 through 5. Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi and Dathan and Abiram, the son of Eliab, and on the Son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. 
And they gathered to the they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, then lift up then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face, and he spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his, and who is holy, and who will cause him to come near unto him, even him who he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. This do take your take you censors, Korah, and all his company. Then I want to jump down to verse 12 through 35. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, which said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of the land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us? Moreover, hast not... Moreover, thou hast not brought us into a land that floweth with milk and honey, or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Would thou put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And Moses was very wroth, and said unto the Lord, Respect not thou thy offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. And Moses said unto Korah, Be thou and all thy company before the Lord, thou and I and Aaron tomorrow. And take every man his censer, and put incense in them, and bring ye before the Lord every man his censer, two hundred and fifty censers thou hast also, and Aaron each of you his censer. And they took every man his censer, and put fire in them, and laid incense thereon, and stood in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them and unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, wilt thou be wroth with the whole congregation? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, <coughs> Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah and Dathan and Abiram. And Moses rose up and went unto Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents and these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed in all their sins. So they gat up from the tabernacles of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram on every side, and Dathan and Abiram came out and stood in the door of their tents, and their wives and their sons and their little children. And Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own. If these men die in the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then he shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as he made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up in their houses and all the men that obtained unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that pertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished 
from among the congregation. And all Israel that were around them, about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, Let the earth swallow us up also. And there came up, and there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the two hundred and fifty men that offered incense. Because of the rebellion and the discontentment of these people, there was much death and suffering. God does not like discontentment. He wants us to be a content people, and it's up to us to be that. And then for um, contentment, I wanted to go to Job chapter 1. And I know you guys all know the story of Job, how, yeah, he did not put his contentment on his earthly possessions. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feareth God and sheweth evil, Job 1. And there was born unto him ever seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. Then let's... Jump over to verse 13. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell it. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and the and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and saith, The Chaldeans made out three bands, and fell upon the camels, and have carried them away. Yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men. And they are dead and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not and charged God foolishly. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? And there is none like him on the earth a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest against him to destroy him without cause. 
And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown, and he took him a potsherd to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thy integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? Shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Here Job did not put his faith in the material things of his life. His contentment was not in the things he had on this earth. His focus was on God. Was it easy? No. If you keep reading through Job, he did struggle. And we will struggle from time to time. Contentment is a journey. It's not going to be always easy. But if we go back to Job 42... Starting at verse 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all that they had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. He also had seven sons and three daughters. So you see, God might not necessarily bless us materially all the time like he did Job here, but if we are content, if we put our faith and trust in God, he will bless us with his mercy, double of what we need. He will give us what we need every time and on time, just as he did Job there. And so just as an encouragement, like, yeah, the struggles we're going through or whatever, be content in them. Look to God. He will give you the mercies and the grace that you need at that time. And now, the secret to contentment. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, 11 through 13. I'm going to read it in the NIV. I like that one. It's a little more clear as what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, 
and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And when Paul wrote this, it wasn't like he was on a sandy beach somewhere in the cool breeze blowing over his face. He was sitting in prison facing death and not a very humane death. So it's not like he was at a place of comfort right then. But what is a secret to contentment? Or how did he learn to be content in every situation like he said? He learned to gratefully savor the blessings of God. If you go over in the um, verse 8 there, it says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. He meditated on the things that actually counted. He thought of these things. He didn't think of the discontentment of things. He thought of the things that were a blessing to him. And that's what we need to do. But how do we do that? Go up to verse 4 there. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto man, or unto God. We need to rejoice in God. We need to pray to Him. Ask for, for or, um, ask for um, rejoicing. Thank Him for the good things. And not worry. Worry and anxiety take the place of contentment, don't they? How content can we be when we're worrying about things that we don't have to be worrying about? If we're anxious about things that are probably not even going to happen, how can we be content? We need to let God um, we need to rely on the strength of God and not worry. And then verse 7 can happen. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Once we give it all to God and be that content, then that peace of God will flow over us. And then in verse 12 there, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be to both be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul knew plenty about suffering. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
Second on uh, first Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter eleven verse twenty-three. Are thy ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes, above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils often of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides all, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So we see Paul knew plenty about sufferings, but yet he said, you can have contentment in each of his circumstances. And how can we how can we show that contentment? If you notice there in verse 12, every one of his struggles he pairs with a blessing that God gave him. I know what it is to be in need. He compares that with I know what it is to have plenty. And whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So if we want to be that content person, pair our struggles with the many blessings that God gives us. I mean, you might say, well, I'm struggling with this. But thankfully... I have a friend that I can confide in and help me through that, or whatever it is. We have a blessing if we look enough to match with each one of our struggles. I was talking to a brother in church the other day, talking about some of the struggles he had over his life and some of the struggles he's going through now, and how God just gave him the strength to face each one of those struggles in the past and even today. It was just an encouragement. He was so content with where he was that God was helping him. God was giving him the grace and the mercy that he needed for every situation that he faced. And he even mentioned some other brothers that were going through some other things. That He's like, I'm so glad I'm not going through what they are that I will take the burden that God gives me, right, or that he has. That's contentment. When you can thank God for the struggles you're going through, for him giving you the mercy and the grace that you need for every situation. And we don't have to be worried or anxious about them situations because God will give you what you need at the very time that you need it. Now, does contentment mean that you just, whatever's in your life is in your life? You can't improve your life? I don't think so. 
Sometimes it's hard to define them two lines, maybe. But contentment does not mean that you are indifferent to your circumstance. It means that you are not controlled by your circumstance. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Here Paul's writing, and at least I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that I might depart from me. So here Paul had whatever, we don't know, a thorn in the flesh he calls it. And he said he pleaded with God three different times. And I'm guessing that it was probably way more than that. But there's probably three specific times that he remembers that him just crying out to God to remove this thing. He was doing everything in his power to improve his life. But verse 9 there, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I gather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul got his answer. It wasn't what he wanted. But God said, you can handle this. My grace is sufficient for you. And in your weakness, my strength can be expounded. And so are we content in our weakness to show God's strength working through us? And 1 Corinthians also at 7.21 says, as another example where Paul is talking, Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. Here he's saying, are you a servant? Well, be content. But if you have the opportunity and the chance to improve your life, well, then do it. You don't have to be just here because you're here. If you have the chance and the opportunity and God gives you that chance, improve your life. Be content where God wants you. And then back to Philippians 4. The true secret that Paul's saying here to be content in every circumstance is found in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And the only way for us to be truly contentment or to be content is by God's strength in our life. That is the only way to true contentment. I'd like to leave you with these last couple verses in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain 
we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. May God bless you on your journey of contentment. It's not always easy, but with God and His strength it is possible.